Welcome to Backseat Directing. Where we talk about movies, TV shows, comics, and more. We're your hosts, Andrew and Aaron. And today we are talking about the newly released Black Adam. Let's get into it in three, two, one, action. Two, one, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Andrew, before we dive into this review, let's just start off by saying no spoilers for the first half of the movie. And then at the end, we'll kind of dive into the spoilers and break down the actual uh, key points to the story and what happened in the movie. So if you haven't seen this first part, you're all right. Towards the end of this episode... Stand clear, go watch the movie, come back. Yeah, you might be able to get an idea from the first part of the episode of whether or not you want to see the movie or just some general information, but nothing that'll spoil the plot. With that said, though, Andrew's not good at keeping secrets, so he might let some things slip, so... I'm a vault, baby, locked down. (laughs) All right, just briefly overall, what did you think of the movie? Um, So I think I went in with pretty low expectations that I think helped a lot. Um, cause I've been hearing a lot of people have much worse opinions of the movie that I have. Um, but in general, I enjoyed the movie, uh, you know, even more so than just going, like I've heard people say it's a classic DJ movie. You know, it's a Dwayne Johnson movie is what it is. Um, that's what you should expect going in, but I enjoyed it more than in that sense. I thought there were some elements that were true to the characters. There was some writing that fleshed out the characters beyond just, you know, a a face level. I I thought the characters definitely went more than an inch deep and I, uh, I enjoyed it overall and I felt like it was a good time at the theater with some actual little bit of depth to it. Like I said, what did you think? How did it compare with your expectations going in? Overall, I liked it. It was a good movie. I had fun while I was watching it the whole time. Um, I think the closer and closer I got to actually go into the theater and watching it, the more and more excited I was getting because I tried to have low expectations in the beginning, but then I was kind of feeding into all the, the hype that was around the movie and stuff. Did That's it, what they pay the marketing team I for. I know. They, they were getting me excited <laughs> about it. And I, was, I was already planning on going. So, But uh, I think it was good. Um, I have some points that I think could have made it better in my eyes, but who cares about that, right? That's what Backseat Directing is for. <laughs> exactly. Um, but overall, I think it was a good movie. It was a fun movie. Um, I will dive into more of the aspects of what I liked specifically and stuff. But overall, I, I enjoyed it a lot. So, ready to dive into this episode. Uh, we're going to start off by kind of giving a little summary of the movie. Yeah, Aaron, uh, tell me what the movie's about. 5,000 years ago, an ancient Kondok, Teth Adams, becomes the champion wizard Shazam. By saying the name Shazam, Teth transforms into a Superman-esque character. He ends up using his powers for vengeance against the king who has enslaved his people. Because of this, he was deemed unworthy of his powers uh, of Shazam and was imprisoned. Flash forward to present day after the events of the Justice League, Black Adam has become legend. Black Adam gets freed from his imprisonment and his skewed view of justice 
born of rage, is challenged by the Justice Society, consisting of heroes Hawkman, Doctor Fate, Adam Smasher, and Cyclone. So incredibly cool to get to see the Justice Society of America like jump off the page onto the screen. Um, I think really well cast, great actors in those roles, and it was just so exciting to see them and you know fully dressed up and doing their thing they looked cool too yeah they, they looked amazing yeah, the movie I, looked visually very good yes i i enjoyed the aesthetic of the movie it kind of felt like it fit right into the dc world and universe right kind of those dark harsh colors and the orange yellow tint throughout you know um kind of what snyder has been kind of known for you know it kind of had the same feeling to it for me yeah, speaking of the, the feeling of the movie, the aesthetic, and the actors, uh, let's get to know the people that are in front of and behind the camera a little bit. We like to delve into who is involved in the making of a movie. Um, it's a lot of work for these people, so let's try and, you know, let's, let's know their names. So the director, who's speaking of, I hope I'm pronouncing their name correctly, uh, is John uh, Colette Serra. Um, interestingly, when I looked on IMDb, only 15 credits, which... Uh, I feel like is seemingly low, especially to be directing a movie whose budget we know is hundreds of millions yeah, yeah. of dollars, $200 million, right? Yeah. So um, he has, he directed Unknown with Liam Neeson, uh, Jungle Cruise, so not the first time that he's met Dwayne The Rock Johnson, The Shallows, which I believe stars Blake Lively, and The Orphan, very popular uh, kind of horror film. So some some good credits under under his belt, but just not a lot of credits. I wonder if that... Had any reason for him getting this role? Well, the, previously working with The Rock, Marvel itself. Um, I don't. I don't want to call this director untested, but Marvel has a recent history of using like less tested, less seasoned directors and seeing where uh, they go with their projects. Obviously, not you know Taika Waititi or Sam Raimi, but some of their other projects. They've just been seeing how it works and. Sometimes that, you know, leads to a slam dunk, you know, when the director from Moon Knight, for example, didn't have a whole lot of experience. But I, I think that worked out in general for them and told a good story. So I think it worked out in this case, too. I kind of like that big movie studios are doing that. It takes a chance on somebody. I mean, yeah. the, I think the positive side to using tested and to use reusing directors, like in the case of using the Russo siblings multiple times, is you get... Uh, like a coherent and uh, consistent tone across the movies. But switching directors also gives the chance for the movie to have its own style, to yeah. stand apart. There's a diversity of storytelling that could happen by having new and different directors come in and man the ship and move the movie forward. So that, I think it's good that they're given smaller chance or smaller credited people these roles in a big role in the movie you know yeah and again not to downplay uh colette sarah because you know jungle cruise is no small movie i'm sure he's got experience with good budgets but yeah um not you know not a seasoned as like a christopher nolan or a sam raimi but uh so going on to the actual cast of the film obviously you've got the man himself dwayne johnson Never playing heard of him. <laughs> uh he's this guy done a few like uh independent films uh dwayne johnson as teth adam or transforming into the powerful black adam uh and then aldous hodge as hawkman uh whose alter ego is carter hall and i just brought up hawk uh the 
the character of um, that Aldous Hodge plays in Leverage uh, because we just did our heist episode. Mm-hmm. Our, uh, our heist episode, if you want to go back and watch that, uh, do you know what number it is? Episode 20. Episode 20, big 20. Character so draft. He has... Um, he doesn't have the hugest amount of roles, but I really enjoy seeing him on screen. He's incredible in leverage. Uh, he's he's a great actor, and watching behind the scenes, he's he's a funny guy in real life. He did a good job in this movie too. Like, I think he elevated the character. I mean, I don't think there is. I want to say the hugest fan base for Hawkman, but I think there's it's gonna grow from this. Yeah, there is like dynamic range in his acting and stuff, and like you could feel the weight of his character, or at least I could. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed him, and I thought he looked great as well. Um, he looked large. Yeah. <laughs> looked strong. Uh, so Pierce Brosnan, the uh, legendary James Bond actor, plays Dr. Fate or Kent Nelson. Uh, Noah Centineo plays Adam Smasher or Al Rothstein, who we'll talk more later about individuals, but I thought did a really great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah Shai uh, plays Adriana Tomas. Uh and her son, Amon Tamaz, is played by Bodhi Sabongui. Uh, then Contessa Swindell as Cyclone or Maxine Hunkel. Uh, Marwan Kanzari is Ishmael, uh, who is Ishmael. Um, <laughs> Muhammad uh, Amir voices or plays Kareem. Henry Winkler uh, is Uncle Al, the... Henry Winkler is, you know, an icon in the acting community, a legend. Uh, he has a small role in this movie. Jimon Honsu again returning as the wizard, and obviously Viola Davis returns to reprise her role as Amanda Waller. So uh, who do you think stood out to you in this group? Of actors specifically? In terms of the actor? Of character? In terms of the actor, let's say, not character. We'll get into characters later when we go into spoiler regions. I think the little kid kind of show, uh, stole the show a little bit. Yeah, I felt like, similar. Just like in Shazam, where the side character kid mm-hmm. kind of stole the show, I feel like they did an excellent job of casting this role as well. I think him and then the the on-screen chemistry between Contessa Swindell and Noah Centineo, I think, were two things that kind of surprised me. Yeah, yeah. I, I like them too. I wish we saw a little more of them. You know, and like, that's the hard part about introducing all these new characters that have a big role in protecting justice. But then this is the first time most people are ever hearing of them, let alone seeing them on the big screen. So like, I would have liked to see more of them and know more about them kind of heading into this project. Um, But I think they did a decent job with the time that they had with them on screen. Yeah, I would have liked to see probably more of Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate, if I could pick one character who to increase their screen time, I, th- I think that would maybe be my choice. Yeah. But then um, also on the other end of the camera, we have our music being done by Lorne Balfe. Uh, Lorne is a legend whose name many might not know because we tend not to know the name of our composers in the film industry, but 167 credits on IMDb. And these are not slouch credits. I mean, among them, there's tons of video game credits as well. But the huge movies that I noted were recently Top Gun Maverick, Ambulance, uh, which starred Jake Gyllenhaal, The Tomorrow War, Black Widow, Bad Boys for Life, Six Underground, Gemini Man, 
Mission Impossible Fallout, Pacific Rim Uprising, 12 Strong, Lego Batman, uh, and then he's got some upcoming projects as well. The new Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 he'll be doing the music for, and Dungeons and Dragons. So some huge films, and particularly looks like uh, known for doing action scores, which I feel I feel this score like deep in my bones when I watch Black Adam. It has an ominous, you know tone to it and it feels epic yeah as soon as we finished watching the movie that was like one of the first things he said to me it was like man this score just gets me going yeah it's a really good score up. yeah you can listen to it on the way to the gym it's like yeah <laughs> which is probably why it's suited so well for the dj movie right but those are some great movies in there and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what lauren pulls together for things like mission impossible i mean obviously already doing a great job with fallout but um, we got the cinemat- cinematographer on our list to speak about as well, Lawrence Scher, uh, whose name I didn't know before researching for this podcast, but I'm trying to learn more, you know, every day. I like to learn the behind the scenes for movies. So I uh, did the cinematography, principal, cin- principal photography for Joker, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Hangover, all the Hangover movies, all three, uh, Due Date, Dictator, and War Dogs. So a long history with comedies Mm -hmm. but also kind of got that mixture of like the epic grand scale of godzilla with the superhero or the superhero world of joker so very interesting marriage to make black adam let's kind of dive into some statistics and numbers we have the budget which andrew already mentioned was 200 million dollars for black adam and so far opening weekend they have made 140 million dollars what do you think of that for opening weekend? They're at 70% of their budget. Yeah, and normally you hear $140 million as an opening weekend. It's an incredible thing. Um, it's a little bit different. you got to weigh expectations when it comes to a movie that has a big budget like this. Um, you know, $200 million is kind of the going rate, I feel like, for superhero movies nowadays. Uh, I think they're going to have a hard time making a huge profit. Um, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think um, somewhere around 150 to 180 is kind of like the average-ish. And this is kind of like creeping towards the top a little bit more. But it seems like over the last few years that 200 is now becoming the, the standard budget for a big superhero movie like this. And kind of like you said, I feel like it's going to be tough for them to kind of make a ton of money off of it in terms of return on investment with the budget of the marketing included we know that the rock has been marketing the crap out of this movie (laughs) with all of his different businesses his social media and all that stuff like he's done a very good job of marketing this movie i think you know and then also they marketed outside of just Dwayne as well Um, yeah the press tour has been huge yeah for sure so I, I, I did some, some number crunching to kind of figure out how Shazam did in comparison because Black Adam is the main partner villain um, to Shazam. So I wanted to kind of see what the difference was here. So Shazam had a little bit more of a modest budget of $100 million, still a lot of money. Um, but like I said, kind of on the lower end for a big superhero film. Uh, their box office made $366 million. So a decent return. Um, nothing out of the park, you know, um, nothing mind-blowing about that. But enough to justify a sequel. 
enough to justify the making of Black Adam. So they did pretty easy math, right? 366% of their budget. So in order to equal that percentage wise, uh, Black Adam would have to make $732 million to in ratio make the same amount as Shazam did based off of their budgets respectively. No chance. Yeah, yeah you're you, shaking your head right yeah, away. You don't you, think it's going to happen? You can quote me on this and I'll I'll look like a fool if I'm wrong, but I just see there's no way that this movie is going to stay in theaters and skyrocket to another 600 million dollars. Movies typically will start to dip off after their opening weekend and then a couple weeks after that they'll take a, a pretty sharp decline um, in box office returns and like We've seen Top Gun Maverick top the charts for like week after week after week, stay in theaters for months, but it was not the norm. It was a cultural phenomenon when it came out and it's been a huge word of mouth movie. Right. I I don't see this movie carrying the same weight. Just people aren't talking about it in the same way. Kind of jumping back to the reviews of the movie. We have IMDb has it at 7.1 out of 10. So decent score. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics have 39%. The critics haven't been a big fan of this uh, movie. And then the Onion score is 90%. And again, the the way that Rotten Tomatoes works is it's percentage of good reviews based off of how many views there are. So it's not necessarily this is a 39 out of 100%. It's just 39% of the views were positive out of the 219 for the critics and out of 2,500 plus for the audience score. Yeah, the Rotten Tomatoes is, I feel like, kind of notoriously unreliable for that reason, for that metric. It's confusing. Yeah, um, it makes it hard to gauge. But I, that's what I've seen them pushing everywhere is the 90% number. That's what I've seen posted online and right. in marketing materials for the for the movie to get people to come and watch it. Yep. 90% is a huge win. It's a big success. And I think that it is an audience-focused movie and not a critic-focused movie. Yeah, for sure. And it seems like a lot of superhero movies are that way. Yeah. You know? I mean, unless you're like a Joker or, you know, a Dark Knight trilogy or something, that's how it is. So I wanted to see how this movie kind of stacks up against the rest of the DCEU in terms of budget and maybe worldwide box office expectations based off of their previous movies. So right now, their budget, again, is at $200 million. So that'll sit them basically right in the middle of all the other projects for the DCEU. Like you said, it's becoming the new average of these superhero films. So $200 million, it was also the budget for Wonder Woman 1984 and Aquaman. So same budget, here's what those movies brought in. Complete opposite sides of the field. We have Wonder Woman bringing in only $166 million. They didn't even make their budget back. That's 1984? Yes. Well, that sounds about right for yeah. that movie, but, unfortunately. Yeah, but brutal, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, something that's interesting, out of the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 DCEU movies, not including Black Adam, Aquaman brought in the most money at $1.148 billion. <laughs> That's right, Andrew. You heard me. Aquaman brought in more than a billion dollars. That, first of all, unbelievable. What? One second. One second. One second. One second. What? You don't believe me? You're checking my numbers? Well, where where are your numbers from? (laughs) They're from wherever I want them to be from. 
Um, I just Googled it, and right now this page is on Wikipedia, but I also looked at other pages too, and I got basically the same numbers. I mean, I always get my trustworthy information from IMDb, so let me just... What do you, what do you got from there? That's, that's so unbelievably ridiculous, if that's true, because Aqu- I literally fell asleep in the theater watching Aquaman, who was... Dude, I didn't even watch Holy it in the theaters. It, <laughs> it says $1.148 billion gross worldwide. See? Told you. But Same why? Number. Isn't why? that insane? Does, but does Jason Momoa have that much draw? as like? Because what else does that movie have going for it? Like Willem Dafoe's small role in it? Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, it beat out the Justice League. It beat out Batman versus Superman. It destroyed Man of Steel. All of those are obviously much more well-known superheroes than Aquaman um, blew my mind right so in comparison Man of Steel the first of the DCEU had a budget of 225 million dollars and that movie brought in 666 sorry 668 million so that's less than what Black Adam would have to bring in in order to equal percentage wise what Shazam did so, if Man of Steel can't break that barrier, do we think Black Adam is going to? Oh, I mean, Man of Steel is definitely a better movie right. than Black Adam. Um, but is The Rock bigger than Henry Cavill enough to kind of equal the success of Shazam presented percentage-wise? Un- undoubtedly, he is bigger than Henry Cavill, as much as I might not think that is the way it right. should be um as much as we like <laughs> as much as we love henry cavill we gotta get that in every every chance we get how much we love henry cavill i don't it's a think mandatory uh part of the podcast is we have to mention his name so we check that box for today i don't think it's uh enough like that the the dj draw is huge yeah but it, we would have seen it in the opening weekend if it was huge enough i don't think we did and it doesn't in my opinion like it's, and I can't think about anything else other than the fact that Aquaman <laughs> made a billion dollars. <laughs> and I, don't, I didn't mean to blow I don't, your mind like I that. don't like that movie. I, so if you Google, how did Aquaman make, <laughs> it autofills so much money, which is where I was going. Yeah, man. Justice League, again, 2017 version, didn't even bring in as much as what I'm putting on the pressure on Black Adam to make. And again, I'm only putting this pressure on Black Adam to make back because of the success in comparison to Shazam because they're supposed to be in the same movie, all right? They're they're opposites of each other. They're supposed to be in the same movie, but they're not. So Black Adam, in my eyes, has to make percentage-wise just as much as Shazam, if not more, to be worth it from a financial standpoint. I think that that metric makes a lot of sense, but I think what you're ignoring is that we have to figure out why Aquaman made so much money. All right. So what do, you, what do you got? According to what I found, 72% of Aquaman's revenue was earned on foreign uh, movie theaters, which is strange. It's an American-made movie, primarily released to American audiences, I'd imagine. You said 70%? 72%. So like well over half of its money was made in other markets. Why yeah. is the character Aquaman so big in other countries? I got, I'm going to have to look more into this off- off air but 
this should, if this is as crazy to me as it is to anyone listening in comparison us and canada aquaman brought in 335 million while other territories it brought in 813 million so like you said half a billion difference i'm still surprised that it even made so much in us and canada alone because yeah i have a poor perception of this movie i mean in the us alone it made more than let me see here. A lot of movies here. So it made more than three of their movies just in the US and Canada. That's quite a bit. Also, did this not... This came out in 2018. So it came yeah. out after Justice League, mm-hmm. which was like a flop, essentially. So it's surprising for this movie to do so well. Yeah, like like you said, like not many people were saying that it was good <laughs> at least in our circle yeah and then i didn't even watch the movie in theaters heck i just watched aquaman for the first time like a month ago <laughs> like yeah i mean and I, I didn't enjoy it that much i mean it was okay for what it was but i thought it was a little messy apparently people in like asia or something were going to see this movie like three times a piece like, <laughs> it was huge it made more money than dark knight rises jeez that's wild objectively objectively a way worse film than dark knight rises i would agree (laughs) that's not even like i feel like that's hardly an opinion yeah i I would rewatch dark knight rises probably 10 times before i'd rewatch aquaman uh that that is really shocking but back to the point of the episode though is black adam um yeah i'd agree with you i think it's a good metric to measure measure it by um i would love to see the two of them in the same film at some point. I it's it seems to be taking a strange path to get there. Um, we'll we'll talk we'll talk about that more later on in the episode, I suppose. So if you made it this far, thanks so much for listening. We post new episodes every Monday and Thursday. This one is a bonus episode, so we're pumping out three a week for this one. Uh, we also did in preparation for Black Adam a Shazam episode. And then a Dwayne The Rock Johnson episode. And those are episodes 19 and 20. So we encourage you to go check them out. For the Shazam one, we talk a lot more of the background of Shazam, the wizards, where the power comes from, and all of that. And then like we have just mentioned, that Black Adam should have been in Shazam, and that they're the main villain and hero to each other. Why do movies keep doing that? You know, I said it in the Shazam episode. I'm going to say it again. Can we stop having the villains or anti-heroes, whatever he wants to be called, be separate from the heroes? Imagine how much more money Shazam would have made if Dwayne was in that movie too. Oh, yeah. It would have blown their uh, current earnings out of the water, right? Like... It, would, it probably would have doubled what it made. Yeah, I mean, in preparation for this episode, I've been watching uh, a DC Showcase animated movie called uh, Superman Shazam, The Return of Black Adam. And it just makes me think how much I wish we could have the three of them on a live screen film. I, I want I want to see that, or a live action film. I want to see that so badly. Yeah. Um, and I, I hope that we can get there someday. It would just be so cool. Yeah, and like... It would have been, I feel like it would have helped Black Adam's viewerships more too. Like if he was kind of sprinkled in there maybe at the end or something and was part of the film in some capacity and then 
maybe left for whatever reason, you know, and it's like we got a good taste of like what these two would be like, you know, or maybe we just saw uh, the villain in Shazam, Salvia? Savannah. Savannah. We see him like release Black Adam or whatever, and it's like we get a taste of it. Yeah, because when people know, like, oh, Black Adam and Shazam, they're connected. And then we go watch the Black Adam movie, and we're like, we already know part of this, you know? Like, yeah. It makes me feel more invested when something like that would happen. Yeah, because when you read the actual comic, the Jeff Johns comic, um, the New 52 that revamped Shazam, you like, you really, when you read the comic and watch the movie, you really see the parts where they just superimposed Savannah onto roles that were supposed to be Black Adam in that movie. Yeah, they were introduced at the same time. Yeah, like so, like so mu- so many scenes in that movie, like even the the pinnacle of the movie, the climax in Shazam, where he has the whole family hostage and he and Shazam grants the powers to the Shazam family instead of giving them up, was supposed to be doing that towards Black Adam instead of Savannah. So like, yeah, it, it would have been really cool if that was Black Adam instead. Andrew, that's a perfect place to dive into our spoilers. So if you haven't seen this movie. Go ahead and like this video and come back and watch it after you've watched Black Adam. Uh, Let's go ahead and dive into the source code of Black Adam. What is his origin, Andrew? Yeah, source code is the super fun segment we love to do because we like to focus on source material. So we're going to find out where Black Adam came from. If you're curious, like I was, uh, Black Adam originally appeared in Shazam Family number one in 1945. This is just six years after the first appearance of Shazam. This is with Fawcett Comics, where Shazam, or, or at the time he was known as Captain Marvel, originally appeared. And then what? later... Yes. And we then talk later- <laughs> more about that in our Shazam episode, episode 18. Yeah, check that out for more in-depth information. But he was created by C.C. Beck and Otto Binder over at Fawcett before the, the titles were acquired by DC, where they purchased the rights to Shazam, the Shazam family, and his villains, including Black Adam. So um, Black Adam has a, a backstory uh, back in 1945, but what I want to focus on is the similarities and differences with his backstory that we get in the new 52 when Jeff Johns writes the characters post 2000. Uh, So we get a revamped uh, backstory for Black Adam in this story, which is is what Shazam, the movie from 2018, Mm -hmm. was originally going to be based on. Um, We see Billy Batson get transferred the power of the champion of Shazam and in the comics he comes face to face with the villainous Black Adam the previous champion who the wizard sees as his greatest mistake in life uh, giving the powers uh, ultimately to this person ends up in the hands of somebody deemed unworthy now in that comic Billy is uh, at the Rock Fraternity speaking with some uh, mystical energy force that's giving him the backstory of Black Adam where he learns that Black Adam was uh, the, the the story basically leads you to believe, like in the movie, that the the powers were given and still belong to uh, this young child who is a slave. So there's a young child named Amun who is a, a slave in ancient Egypt. Uh, his uncle is Teth Adam. So Amun is uh, willing to sacrifice himself or not leave him not leave his uncle behind and chooses to stay with his uncle when his uncle uncle Teth Adam is in peril in mortal danger the the wizard calls them both to the rock of eternity and 
there he tells Amon that he will be his champion. Amon says that he would give it all up if it meant that he could save his uncle's life, at which point the wizard informs him that he is able to transfer his power or a fraction of his power to those that are his family or that he sees his family. So he grants some of his power to Teth Adam in order to save his life, and he is revitalized. Teth is given new strength. Then they are transported back to Kondok, where their people are still being oppressed. Now, at this point in the storyline, the the family members of Teth and Amun have been killed by the evil king in Kondok. Now, they see two different points of view on this. Amun, the young, deserving, heroic, idealistic child, wants to follow the ways of the wizard and act altruistically and forgive these people and work towards improving Kondok. But Teth Adam, the murderous, dare I say, Black Adam, wants to take vengeance for the death of his wife and his family. Now, um, at this point, um, Teth tells his nephew that he feels he has to do this. And with a tear in his eye, as they both call out Shazam, he puts his hand over his nephew's face and kills his own nephew. Now, this is a stark contrast and, and, and a bit darker than what we see in the movie that we'll talk about. But he then gains all the powers of the champion that were at that point only partially his. And he uses them to exact vengeance on the people he sees wronged him, the evil king and the people of Kondok. When he's killing um, mercilessly these people, the wizard um, and the council call him to the Rock of Eternity and... Black Adam kills all of them besides the wizard, the last remaining member. And he is able to, to trap Black Adam and keep him locked up for thousands of years. Uh, in the comics, he has small other appearances, like he's called upon to fight a, a frost giant, I believe, at one point. They have to free him and put him back because they need his strength. Um, but then he isn't called back officially until the deep future, where he's... There's the new champion, Billy Batson. Now, Billy, only having gotten part of the story, believing that young innocent child still has the powers, approaches Teth, um, telling him, I understand, I understand, which is the point where Teth grabs him by the face, making it impossible for Billy to call back his champion in his child form and tells him his real and true full backstory. And then from there, the rest of the plot is similar to the movie Shazam, except what he has to do for Black Adam is trick him into saying the word Shazam um, by baiting him. And when Black Adam in that storyline says the word Shazam, he transforms, but not accounting for the fact that it's been 5,000 years, he shrivels to dust and dies because his original form could not have survived that age, whereas there's essentially immortality to the champion form. So he's dead in that storyline, and he's brought back then in Egypt, which I believe ties into the movie as well. When he's reincarnated there, it's along with the powers of six Egyptian gods. So he gains the stamina of Shu, the speed of Horus, the strength of Amun, the wisdom of Zahuti, the power of Aten, and the courage of Mahen. So this spells out Shazam, Shazam again. Funny how those acronyms work out. Yeah. But so that's how he comes back to be in the Egyptian powers. We have a few differences in the movie. But Aaron, what do we see in this movie that is considered an origin story for Shazam? Yeah, the movie takes kind of a different approach, obviously, since it's kind of on its own and not connected right away with Shazam in his movie. So we start off in Egypt, in Kondok, and we're kind of led to believe the same thing, right? This little kid is... He's kind of the hero of the scene. 
he's enslaved with the rest of his people and he's the one that's kind of driving them and trying to do good and he ends up finding the ethrum eternium or eternium yeah all right we're gonna start that part over too <laughs> eternium yeah the, the element right is eternium yeah he didn't find it though someone else did but he brought it to the king Yes. Strange how that worked out, wasn't it? An older. Yeah, why did he bring it? To he the didn't. King? Br- he he went with the older guy. He went alongside him, and he was like, he should get something for this. He was, he didn't bring it himself. Weird. Right. He's a very he's a very mature young lad. Yeah, but like, why would the king grant him a prize? Well, they probably are telling all these people, like in the movie Holes, they're like, dig, dig, and if one of you finds something, I'll you'll get to live a lavish lifestyle, like, and then they just screw him over. Yeah, so basically that happens, right? He brings this rock to the king, and the king's like, ha-ha, I'm going to kill you instead. Trick ya! <laughs> and throws him up over the cliff, and the little boy is like, oh my gosh, what happened? And he's angry and is stopped and kind of pulled back by a character that we don't really know who is, but ends up being the rock, Teth, uh, who later becomes Black Adam. So he pulls the kid to the side, and from there... Yeah, I think... Well, I, I had a thought, too. I think it's funny how when they show him at that point, the smaller version of Black Adam, the Tef Adam character, is still ripped. He, I feel like he looks slightly smaller, but he's still... I, I feel he like looked like a normal sized jack guy. They're like, even if it's... Dwayne Johnson, even if he's in his normal form, don't worry. He's still jacked. jacked. <laughs> I wonder who had the editor's note on what he would look like. He's just standing over their shoulder at the editing table with his arms crossed like, yeah, bigger pecs. <laughs> <laughs> the Rock's like, remember what I looked like in Game Plan? Put that, put that body there. He's like, he's like, you know how they had the smaller version of Steve Rogers? I want the smaller version of me to look like Chris Evans. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. But so from from that point, he, he kind of starts the rebellion. So the young Harut, uh, Tep Adam's son, starts a rebellion in Kondok. He is going to be killed as a martyr, but he gets called to have the powers. Uh, he gets called by the wizard to the Rock of Eternity and gra- granted the powers of the champion. Right as he was about to get killed by the evil king, too. So it's a dramatic scene. Yeah, he has... His sword in hand, he's coming down, the little kid's on his knees, coming down to slice his head off, and then he just vanishes. Yeah, an important difference is in the comics, it is a relationship between Teth and his nephew, Amon, and in the movie, it is between Teth and his son, Harut, which I feel like a son relationship is more emotional, Mm -hmm. but also they don't choose to ultimately go the route of him killing his son. So Yeah, instead, what happened was his family... Just like the comics, you know, his his wife uh, ended up getting killed by the king uh, because the son became Shazam and was performing heroic acts and all that stuff. So to backlash that, they went after his family. And to save his family, the son gave the powers to Teth. And he transferred all of his powers so it seemed yeah, right? it seemed, it seemed like, like it didn't that. seem like it was a portion of his powers because they would have both at that point black adam didn't kill him his son the soldiers uh snipers if you will killed them assassins is a better word yeah killed them with the bow and Archers. arrow and killed the son so black adam didn't end up 
doing that evil act. Which I think is probably to keep the character on the greener side of that anti-hero line. I think that The Rock was probably partially against that himself, I would imagine, because he likes to be the hero of the story. Um, I think he probably wanted the character to be more um, sympathetic to audiences, having his son killed by the evil villain instead of killing his own flesh and blood. There was a a part, uh, I heard Aldous Hodge, who plays Hawkman, talk about there was a moment where his character had some dialogue and Dwayne was like, oh, stop, stop. Uh, we got to kind of rework that dialogue because that was a little mean and we want audiences to identify with Hawkman and like him. And Aldous actually really liked this, you know, he was talking Dwayne up when he said this, but I think that that kind of control that he has allows him maybe a little bit too much influence um, where Dwayne Johnson can kind of alter the story a little bit from the source material. Cause I would, I think, you know, Hey, I'm not like an advocate for, killing everybody but i think that makes him much more dark and interesting character because ultimately he's someone in the comics who believes the ends justify the means and he's willing to make that sacrifice with tears running down his face to do something he hates to do which is kill his family in order to for what he believes is the greater good it's a thanos line of thinking right which is a terrible thing to do and a hero would never do it but an anti-hero would right and this kind of goes into the backseat directing segment of the show where we have different critiques or things that we would change about the show. And this was actually one of mine is that the, the movie didn't really show me that he was an anti-hero. They kind of just said it, <laughs> you know, like I'm not a hero. They, they said it more than they showed it. it he was, was, I would agree. He's more of a loose cannon than an anti-hero. Yeah. Like, he obviously kills people, but a lot of heroes in this universe kill people as well. Like we have uh, Ben Affleck's Batman, who's killed a bunch of people on screen. We have Superman, who ended up killing Zod as well. Um, so like the heroes in this universe have killed people for their greater good, right? Whatever. Um, however they justify it. So like, how is he different <laughs> from them? You know, like what separates them? I think since we didn't get to see Shazam, his main opponent, we didn't get to see him challenged more morally or physically enough to really test his character. Like, uh, yes, he cared for that kid in the village, but like it's easy to resonate with a kid, especially when you lost your own son. He didn't kill his own son. Someone else did. Um, so he didn't have that like that rage with him that I thought we were going to see with an anti-hero. I think if he had killed his own nephew, it would have been much more of an anti-hero story and added that villainous streak to his character. Yeah. And it would have made him like his turn over into helping the kid and helping the Kondok as like, Oh wow. He's actually kind of changing, you know, like it's a drastic change rather than just like a shift in like, Oh, like, don't just don't kill people for the the good of everyone you know like just let them live but instead it's like an actual flip of yeah. a view you i know? think that my archetype of a anti-hero started to be based around billy butcher because he is literally morally reprehensible and does things that are completely unforgivable but at the same time is sympathetic and i really think he's probably my favorite part of the show despite the fact that he is a bad person yeah like in this movie i didn't see an anti-hero which was what was marketed and what is how it is in the comics i saw a hero origin story 
Yeah. You know, I, like he, he started out by killing people, which we've seen a bunch of heroes do. Like we've like, it didn't even seem like he was killing people in, in out of rage. He was just killing people out of confusement. Also self-defense. They right. all shot at him before he did anything to them. Right. Exactly. Like there wasn't any motive for him to go out and kill people himself yeah i mean like he, he didn't initiate any of it necessarily he didn't approach anybody who hadn't like all he did was directly saying, affected him yeah all he did <laughs> to basically show that he was more of a bad guy than the heroes was saying that he's willing to kill over and yeah. over he said that a lot so skipping forward towards the middle of the movie i do really like his ruthlessness in a sense in a, in a means of touching on the what i would keep in the backseat directing segment, I would, which I would keep his kind of uh, like demeanor of like he treats villains like they're bugs beneath his boot because he's this I am Black Adam, I'm yeah. a god. So I really love the scene when he carries the two uh, intergang members into the sky, and you're like, what's he doing? And he's and he's uh, Hawkman says, don't drop them, and he says, I'm not going to drop them. I'm going to drop one, one of, of them. them. Yeah, whoever answers first gets to live and i was like oh snap yeah yes i was like this is this is great anti-hero territory right. like exactly like out in the clouds and the lightning holding them both by their shirt collar and he's like one of you gets and it's such a good interrogation tactic like that's the motivation but to answer quick morally correct yeah to coerce people like that yeah. you know like, it's not at all it's and and like the cat like the casualness with which he just drops them like yeah. no care about them. Like that's what we that's where we got to see the anti-hero part of his character. And that was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Just yeah. and I feel like that is such an effective technique. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna spill my guts. Like, what if he says it first? Then I yeah. die. Like, and then the, the interaction between him and Hawkman afterwards when Hawkman saved both of the two people because he dropped them both. Yeah. And he brings them into this house or whatever. And he's like, I told you to stop killing people. And he's like, well, they're alive right I, there. I waited until you got there. You know, yeah, exactly. And it, like, that was that was kind of when the dialogue of Black Adam started getting a little better. It was kind of stiff in the beginning, which could probably be what they were going for. I mean, he's been in that tomb, imprisoned for 4,000 years, you know, like different times. People yeah. talk different. I think around that time stuff. in the movie, you leaned over to me and said the dialogue was improving for yeah. Black Adam. Because at first it was very... It felt to me very stiff. Like we didn't really get to see much from Black Adam. You know, he kind of had the same expression on his face the whole time. And all he basically kept saying was, I'll kill people. I think at first it was really expository. It's like, hey, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm a little bit more reckless than your average hero. And yeah. it was very much like spelling that out for the audience. I was hoping to see more, more like invincible rage you know like to where there's like motivation behind what he was doing like in that scene where he interrogates those two people in the air which he does because the the boy amon's been kidnapped at that right. point right so that's something he actually cares about right because with good reason to do that but I think, it's not yeah. morally correct yeah. to do that i think it's a yeah something superman or captain america would never do but it's right. like that scene in winter soldier i he's like i wouldn't but she would yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that um, that's a this is a tried and true proven formula for a movie, right? And they use it here where you have the in, the super strong, indestructible, stone-faced character 
paired up with something to soften them, paired up with maybe it's usually a young kid, you know, softer demeanor. Maybe they're a little love bit, interest. Yeah. The, the way that they, they joke around. I'm thinking here, like it's, I call, I think of it as the Terminator two judgment day model, right? You got Arnie and you got the young kid who's teaching him what it means to be human. He's the comic mm-hmm. relief. He's the heart of the movie. Whereas, you know, Arnold, Arnold's the biceps. Amon is like the heart of the movie where he's, Oh, you got to say a, a, a quick line before before you kill him, not after you <laughs> sell them the men in black sent you. Or he's like, we got, you wear all black. We got to lean into that somehow. Yeah. Like the line he has that's really good is where he's like, that was a great entrance, but like you show up a little sooner next time. <laughs> but that that formula works. I mean, they use it in Last of Us with uh, you know Joel and and Ellie. Um, they use it in a whole. They use it in Shazam, literally with Freddy. Like it's a bunch of movies use this formula. Yeah. What else would you keep that like if you were given the reins of this movie what else would you kind of keep the same and change a little bit and then in the universe as a whole what would we do different okay so keep the same i can easily have one off the top of my head um pushing forward right from where we left off with the plot summary um he we have him getting his powers and then he's trapped so what i would keep is the way they they introduced black adam into the movie itself when he has unleashed from his prison and he's just this giant hulking figure with the cloak covering his face they really hold out on the suspense of showing you dwayne johnson's face Mm -hmm. and they kind of from there like really don't hold back on showing powers like if i'm watching a movie with superhero i want to see him move super speed super strong i want to see the powers and they did in that yeah we got to see the super speed much like we do in shazam it's illustrated perfectly i think also the electricity was great basically all of the action scenes were really good and i would keep them kind of the the direction that they took right and i i think they did a good job using slow motion to their advantage um there's a lot of like movies and shows and stuff that use slow motion but to me sometimes it feels unmotivated or it's like at the wrong time Uh, to have the action slow down and stuff. But I feel like this movie did a good job of slowing down at the right time and speeding up at the right time to show us what's going on, to give us the weight of the situation, but then to also show us how fast he's moving. Um, An example of this is in the Justice League Snyder Cut when the Flash kind of runs through the window and then goes and saves that woman who is like crossing the street or whatever. Everything's in slow motion, even the flash going fast. I think it makes more sense for everything to be in slow motion and then him to be in regular speed, much like we saw with Quicksilver in Days of Future Past. Snyder loves his slow motion, though. He just because the scene, just because the world's in slow motion, doesn't mean that his character's not going to be in slow motion. He loves it. I know it, it just doesn't make as much sense to me. But we kind of got to see that with Black Adam. He was going through space, electrocuting different people, moving the helicopter and all that stuff, like catching the missiles and kind of moving them to a different direction or whatnot. We got to see that, but he was moving at a normal rate in comparison. So like we got to feel like his actual speed, because uh, it's like wow he's moving very fast right now you know, um, so I think they used a good the way that they displayed the action and the powers of all of the characters, excellent. 
Yeah, I think it reminded me, honestly, of like a video game. The way that they displayed the action and the way that they, um, even the sound effects too, it reminded me of the Injustice video game and video games in general and in a way that I really enjoyed as like a pro to the movie. I, I thought it was, it, it felt really cool. Dr. Fate too, some of his sound effects felt very reminiscent of like a video game world. Yeah. So overall picture, I think the biggest critique of the movie is that it just, for me, doesn't fit into the universe as well as it could. And that they changed quite a bit from the origin of the comics. So, like, I, I would have preferred him to at least be seen in Shazam for the first time. Mm-hmm. Whether he had a big role in that movie or not, that's where I would have liked to see it kind of debuted. And then maybe he gets his own movie afterwards. Um, in terms of the whole arcing universe you got to start off with the main characters. DC keeps introducing these characters in side roles all at once, like the Justice Society. Like, I want to know more about these characters. I really enjoyed them when they were on the screen, but I feel like I didn't have this connection with them that maybe I could have. Yeah, you're having to enjoy them while also learning who they are and only getting snippets of dialogue, short snippets, a single line to get their expo- exposition in to find out you know, uh, oh, Cyclone was kidnapped and experimented on as a child. Maybe we want to know more about that. But this is all they can afford to give us in someone else's movie. Right. Like, why bring in the Justice Society anyways? Why not just have someone from the Justice League that we already know come in? Why not just have Shazam be the, the hero of the story? You know, like, it just it just doesn't connect very well. Like, if, if they let's say they did want to keep the Justice Society in there. I like the characters. They were really interesting. Maybe have it be a TV show first. You know, like we have one season before. It's a good lead up to Black Adam. It's good promotional material for Black Adam. It's like these people are going to show up in Black Adam. So watch the show and then vice versa. Go watch the movie because you've watched the show. It kind of all connects together. So then when Dr. Fate sacrifices himself, it's like impactful. It's meaningful rather than just like, oh, well, that's sad. I, I liked him. But I didn't know anything about him, so, like, no big deal. Yeah, he was kind of, throughout the movie, this interesting but um, kind of vague and shadowy character who would stand on the sidelines when other people fought, jump in as he saw fit, and it's like, oh, who's this interesting older guy? Like, if you, if I've seen him in lots of animated things, I've never read him, but, I mean, I know the relationship between Kent and the helmet from things like Young Justice... But a lot of people probably don't like casual fans going to just see movies don't have as much of a connection to the character. Yeah, um, I I would have liked a, a bigger kind of lead up like the Marvel format. Like some people say it's stalled out or it's kind of stale, but like it works, right? It gets you connected to the characters and then they have a big meetup movie where they're all together fighting for the same reason, same cause. Like, that makes more sense than what the Justice League has been doing, in my opinion. Yeah. Personally, if I were going to sit in my director's chair and, you know, say what I wanted them to do for the universe, I would do Shazam in a Black Adam movie. No questions asked. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's Dwayne Johnson or not, Shazam in the Black Adam movie, whether you want them to be directly opposing or fight and then team up against another threat together, that's how I would do things. Wouldn't Wouldn't it be cool, like, if... They, in Shazam, convinced him to say Shazam, but instead of having him die, they just locked him up or whatever, 
And then in the Black Adam movie, they need to wake him up to help fight this force or whatever. And then that's when we get the Black Adam movie. Or if somebody broke him out and then we have a movie down the line where Shazam and Superman have to fight Black Adam. Yeah. Something. That would have been so much. That would have been so cool. And I would give the Justice Society of America their own movie as well. That's that's how I I would have done it. Before crossing them over into Kondak. I like it. And last part of this backseat directing segment, I think the movie team, the... They did a really good job of costume design. Um, the uniforms for the Justice Society, Black Adam, they all looked elite. Yeah, this is a good crossover into us talking about characters, um, which was what we wanted to discuss next. But I absolutely agree. These these characters had some of the best costumes, like maybe the best roster of costumes in a single movie, if you exclude like the ones that are kind of unfair, like the big Avengers movies. <laughs> So we talked a lot of the critiques and things we would change and stuff. We mentioned a few of the things that we would keep the same, but kind of ending and wrapping up the backseat directing, Andrew, what shots from this movie did you enjoy the most? Wrapping it up again. So the uh, the shots, I, I love looking at cinemato- cinematography. I think it is, if I had to isolate the aspects of a movie, I'd probably pick that as my single favorite aspect um you know outside of like plot but in terms of uh roles um with camera work lighting music uh sound design cinematography is definitely my favorite and this movie had some really great shots um two two of the big noticeable ones i I noticed were like a theme of this diamond shaped frame that they built off of the uh the symbol of rebellion that harut starts in uh, ancient kandak and so they do shots through the hands, um, you know, framing something, which is very interesting. But you'll also notice it in the building when uh, Teth Adam first sees the statue of Harut from inside the building. It's through this kind of latticework uh, cement uh, part of the building. And that shape that he sees him through is that, again, that diamond. So that's what he kind of associates with Harut, which I thought was a really cool choice uh, for them to line it up that way. And then another big one that I noticed was um, in the beginning of the movie, they do this overhead shot over that evil king of conduct where it swoops in an arc over the top of his head in an aerial view down to upside down, which is a shot that they mimic later in the movie with the villain when he is kind of going into the underworld, they have this arcing shot where it's showing that the underworld is kind of like the upside down in uh, Stranger, Stranger Things. Things. Yeah. So they, they have a, that mirrored, those two shots that mirror one another, um, you know, obviously connecting the villain of the movie to that evil king in the beginning. They're played by the same actor and they are connected by lineage and then connecting them with that shot, um, I thought was like a really brilliant connection, um, you know, and these themes are kind of held throughout the movie, like, one of those shots at the beginning one is at the very end like the beginning of the third act when that villain is introduced at sabak so those were two things that kind of made me get excited in my seat a little bit but did you notice any shots that you were excited about i was i really liked the shot where we first saw black adam kind of race up from his imprisonment and he grabs the first security guard or whatever you want to call him and picks him up by the neck, raises him up, and then just starts electrocuting him. And he, the, you can see the electricity kind of coming up through his forearms and then into the body of this... Uh, Inter-gang member? Yeah. And 
you start to see his flesh kind of burn away and the skeleton kind of get disfigured as well. And then you just see the skull kind of drop to the floor and roll roll off and he basically kind of vanished into the thin air. I thought that might have been like the best looking thing in the whole movie. Like um, I picked my shot design for like their uh, storytelling. Yeah, element. storytelling element. But yeah. like just aesthetically, that was like, oh, the best looking thing in the movie. Just yeah. looks so badass and so cool. The the actual lightning and then the, the guy just melting into dust. Like so cool. Yeah. Something else I noticed they did a lot that I really liked. Um, I don't know. It's not necessarily like a shot per se, but more of a character decision is that black adam is flying most of the time that we see him which it seems like a lot of superhero or superman-esque characters that have this super strength and flight power we don't see him just hovering in the air yeah because you can't tell me i mean people will say oh well it's tiring to fly so he would want to rest on the ground but one of his powers is superhuman endurance so why would you not fly right it's also almost strange sometimes to see these godlike figures do something like walk down the stairs or do like a slight jog somewhere like they can fly flying just makes them look all the more godlike right and they really leaned into that there's so many shots of him just idly floating in the air when he doesn't have to be so i think that was a great choice yeah by the filmmakers for sure andrew what was your favorite costume and suit for any of the superheroes that were on screen well, I mean, obviously the Black Adam suit was really good, um, but who who would you guess is my favorite? Based off your reaction in the theater, <laughs> I would have to say Adam Smasher. When he first put on his little hood, you were like, <laughs> in the theater. So I'm going to guess Adam Smasher. Yeah, in right. my, you're correct. My, my I wear my emotions on my sleeve, and in the theater, I get a little excited. I, I look around. Yeah. At the people that I'm with, like at the... Yeah, the, the number of times that you turned around to look at Zach <laughs> sitting in the back row. I turned around to, to look at you. I turned to look at you and Sierra. I was looking... Yeah, and, and you were like... My neck was like... all over the movie. My, my neck was working. Um, but yeah, but I a big reaction yeah. to him putting his... The suit looked phenomenal. I'm, you know, beyond ecstatic that they went with the white eyes. I think they look so good. And too often we see characters in the comics with the the all white eyes that don't translate to film and they change it somehow. I think it just looks so phenomenal. And so like harkens back to like the nostalgic, the the character on the paper. It looks so good on Deadpool and it looks so good on Adam Smasher. Plus like the hues they went with for the red and blue on his suit, those tones, that kind of metallic look, um, it, it, the color shined so beautifully. Uh, it was a great aesthetic and his emblem just looked really good. It, and he looks so good in his in his transformation and that run down the street yeah. that everything the special effects to the costume it was phenomenal so that was my favorite um i mean if i were to guess yours i know you like strength and i feel like there was a lot of strength and power in the suits of hawkman and black adam obviously mm -hmm. the titular character but what was your favorite my favorite was actually dr fate that is a badass suit. That's a good choice. Dude, it looks so cool. The the gold helmet, the gold cape, and the accents. Like His shoulder pads I thought were super cool. The, the protective element oh, over yeah. his shoulder. Like It just looked so slick. It looked intimidating, especially since you can't see like any like facial features. You know, It's just like that slick down uh, part of the helmet. Like He's intimidating, but he also looks classy and 
And I really, obviously, I've said it before, I enjoy capes because <laughs> they display movement and power and speed. Uh, so I really enjoyed his his suit. I, I thought it was awesome. I really like how they leaned into the element of like, one, the Ankh, which I think is the name of the symbol. It looks really cool and Dr. Fate traditionally always uses it. And then how they covered his whole face. It, it looked really great. I th- there's a, a funny anecdote I saw behind the scenes um, where Pierce Brosnan talks about wearing the helmet on set, and he says it's ornate and it looks great, but he cannot see out of it at all. And oh, that <laughs> when he was trying to film the one scene where he was trying to grab a bag from Adriana, he was just kind of reaching out and fumbling <laughs> around because he couldn't see it all. So I originally watched the movie thinking that he took the mask off a bunch of times to get screen time for Pierce Brosnan's face because yeah. usually want to mar- the movie wants to market the actor and the actor wants their face in the movie right. with good reason, understandably. But I think a big part of it was just him being able to see and move and, and talk easily on set. That's interesting that they didn't go with some sort of combination of a CGI and practical helmet for that. You know, because like... That's that's interesting that they just left him like not being able to see when he was wearing the helmet. Like you would, I would think that they would have like a little cutout for the eyes, to where he probably doesn't have great line of sight, but he can at least see a bag that he's trying to hold. Uh, and then they just kind of CGI that kind of element over top of it, much like they did with Adam Smasher and being able to move and kind of use facial expressions with the mask like that's done digitally like i'm surprised they didn't do that with dr fate as well yeah i think i'm a huge fan of practical filmmaking um, Same. and i think that them having like no cgi elements on the helmet which i i heard pierce Brosnan say there's two helmets there's a heavier more realistic metal one that he holds and a lighter one that actually goes on his head but the fact that it's opaque i think is great because practical filmmaking makes it so that other actors on screen see him as what he's meant to be seen as they see him as dr fate they don't know where to look to meet his gaze he's this imposing figure you can't read his eyes he's mysterious and the actors have to act based off that as opposed to pretending like they can't see his eyes yeah man i really wish we got to see more of those characters like they looked really cool they seemed like they have a, a unique and cool story to them and like dr fate he's gone <laughs> like the, yeah. the only way we could see more of him really is if we get like a prequel or something yeah. which i don't really want that yeah, no. now that he's already dead, it kind of feels like a strange. It would be strange to watch. Right. I thought Adam Smasher was a standout role, though, not just visually, but I thought he was very funny. One of my favorite scenes is when he's stopping the cars like they're little toy cars and <laughs> slow down. No, and I, I think it's the same scene where he kind of stands up a little bit and Black Adam flies by and he's like, "Hey, you should watch out! I almost <laughs> hit you!" And he like flings his hand up and hits Hawkman, smacks him out of the air. <laughs> That's so funny. He's a goofball character, but he's a really good character. Obviously very good intentioned. He throws his body around uh, multiple other characters and civilians at a moment's yep. notice to protect them. Throws his, his own safety to the wind. So he, he's. I think he'll be a really good character. I hope he gets a bigger role moving forward. So continuing with other characters and side characters and stuff, there was an end credit scene that was hinted at quite a bit leading up the last week to this movie what happened andrew so in the sound credit scene we see teth adams speaking with amanda waller amanda waller threatens him and he says you have no one in the universe that Which can stand against seems me like an or, empty threat right he, he says you have no one in the world that can stand against me because amanda waller replies 
if needed, I can call in a favor to get somebody who's not from this world. And everybody is, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, can it be? And then out of the shadows, he swoops down and then walks out. Descends. Henry Cavill as Superman. Oh my goodness. This is the power that Dwayne Johnson has. He can fix, he might be able to fix the DC universe. Apparently, this was like a last minute thing too. Like, I believe it, yeah. Uh, it wasn't originally supposed to happen. And here he is. And it's been, I'm pretty sure it's been confirmed, if not highly rumored, that Man of Steel 2 is going to happen. See, like, I've expressed my worries about Dwayne Johnson being in the DC universe and seeing this world as the Dwayne Johnson universe and his movie, Black Adam, as the first movie. But I think that with his influence and with his positive energy and him wanting you know everything to go up and up and up, that kind of leads down the road where all rising tides raises all ships, you know? Mm-hmm. He wants the universe to be successful and himself to be successful, and I think that this goes along with that where everyone will do well alongside him. Um, I just hope it doesn't become my worry, and tell me how you feel about this. I hope it doesn't become too much of the Dwayne Johnson show. I mean, I've seen... So many behind the scenes interviews already where everyone just has the highest, most pristine, perfect opinions of him. They see him as a leader. Um, it seems like everybody looks to him. Um, but I've also seen him say uh, in an interview, um, nobody can stand against Black Adam without question. He is the strongest in the universe. And I feel like that leads down a road where characters like Dr. Fate who should be reality-bending, God-level characters are side characters in his movies, or where maybe Superman can't stand toe-to-toe with Black Adam, which it's kind of then it devalues some of these other characters. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm kind of afraid of the same thing. I mean, we've already expressed that with Black Adam having its own movie to start out and not being in Shazam. Like Shazam was a very close representation of the comics besides Black Adam, you know, but everything else was like really Spot darn on. close. You know, the first half of the movie was pulled right from the, the panels. Um, so I, I'm kind of afraid of that too, but I did see an interview with Dwayne Johnson where he was talking about he's the strongest in the world, he's not the strongest in the universe or we don't know yet, and that he doesn't know if he, Black Adam would beat Superman. So that was... Good to at least hear like he's not going out right away and saying like, yeah, Superman doesn't stand a chance. You know, like <laughs> that would have been even more deheartening, you know, because obviously Superman should be pretty on at least on the same level to where it's like kind of a back and forth fight, you know. Um, I mean, but like even Shazam, like who would win out of Superman and Shazam? Like it, it shouldn't be so black and white out of those three anyways you know maybe some of the other characters and yeah. stuff like it it's a little bit easier to power rank them but out of those three characters like who would win it's kind of like depends on the writing you yeah know? i think those are the top three heavy hitters dc has right now but i think there's a lot of characters i was very impressed by uh contessa when i was watching i think it was a vanity fair interview they asked who the strongest in dc was um, oh yeah, she said I, Mr. Manhattan, right? Yeah, Mr. Manhattan. That is, hey, yeah, Contessa's after my heart because she knows her her stuff. Uh, that movie or that story, Watchmen, uh, has if you haven't heard of Doctor Manhattan, he kind of has very godlike powers, like the power to create life, uh, distort reality, 
shrink and grow, yeah. you know, like all these destructive powers. And I definitely think Dr. Manhattan could stand up to any of those top three. Um, so I was, I was like, Oh, good pick. I like <laughs> it. Cause I mean, like a Dwayne Johnson's going to say, Oh, black Adam, yeah. black Adam. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. I, Overall, I'm excited to see where the DCE is going. I think this was the most excited I've been for this universe. Um, this is the most hopeful I've been for the universe to kind of produce quality stories that are connected well. I feel like they've made some good movies that kind of stand alone and stuff, but overall, their whole universe doesn't like mesh as well as it could or should. So hopefully with this new management and the, the new studio... With DC having its own studio and people dedicated to actually making DC movies, uh, hopefully we're in for a good treat. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, coming to the the close of our episode, I wanted to commend this movie, Black Adam, um, for its you know immense accomplishments in terms of diversity. Uh, it's touched on you know something that no other superhero movies touched on before. Uh, Contessa Swindell is our first non-binary superhero to grace the screen, or as Contessa puts it, the first uh, you know, openly out non-binary character uh, so, or, or, or actor, actress to take up one of these roles. So I think that is very cool. Uh, we've got Dwayne Johnson leading the cast, who is half black, half Hawaiian. Um, story taking place with the culture of ancient Egypt in this fictional land of Kandak. So many different cultures meshing, different races, different uh, gender identities, and and different locations and things like that. So it's a really beautiful mashup of how far we've come, you know, since movies of superheroes only de- depicting white men. So. Really cool, huge accomplishment, and I think that that alone is something that that movie can stand on, even if the ratings are, uh, you know, what, what what am I trying to say? The ratings are mixed. Undetermined. Why couldn't I think of the word mixed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm excited to see kind of how much pull this has in the box office while it's still in theaters, and we'll see if it kind of makes the goal that I set for them. <laughs> $700 million. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, if you've listened this far, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. If you can leave us a rating on all the podcast apps, uh, go ahead and share us with your friend. That would help a lot. Yeah. Like Aaron said, like, follow, listen, rate, subscribe. We have new episodes every Monday and Thursday. This is our special bonus episode for the newly released Black Adam. You can go back and check out our Shazam episode leading up to this. Our Dwayne Johnson 18 and then 19, our Dwayne Johnson episode. Um, But we hope that you'll move forward with us and comment and interact with us. We'll have a good time. Andrew, that's That's a wrap. wrap.